series, Living in Light of His Return, and that's through 1 Thessalonians, may even get into 2 Thessalonians, so we want you to be part of that. And today, we're finishing up Family Hacks. And what we're talking about today is conflict as we deal with that. We've got to be able to deal with conflict for our relationships. And of course, that's most important in our relationships with our family. And we need to be able to deal with conflict for our families to thrive, but also even for our families just to survive. And, and, and we get the reason for that, right? I mean, it's because that we are all sinners living in a fallen world. And as we rub elbows with each other, as we come in contact with each other, inevitably there are going to be offenses over time, uh, hurts or betrayals or lies or infidelity or, you know, whatever it is, there, there are always issues that come up. And in order for our relationships to continue, we have to be able to deal with those issues. And, and Scripture tells us exactly how to do that. And it's not the way that we typically do it, because the way we naturally react is with anger and bitterness. And I think a lot of times we get angry and we get bitter and we sort of think, yeah, that'll teach them, which that doesn't do anything to them, right? You know, being angry and bitter against somebody and thinking that that will hurt them is like us swallowing rat poison and expecting the rat to die, right? It doesn't work that way. And so God is telling us how to make this right, how to set things right. And sometimes there's been so many issues, so much stuff, that people don't know where to begin. Wow, you know, things get so sideways that you just don't know where to start. But actually, Jesus tells us exactly where to start. We're going to look at that. And he taught us how to resolve uh, conflict with others and, and then what it takes. So where do we start when it comes to resolving conflict? First thing is resolving conflict when you've wronged somebody else. All right, Jesus spoke to this. If you realize that you've hurt somebody or wronged somebody, you don't wait for them to come and talk to you. If you realize that you think you may have done something wrong to somebody, then you go to them. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks about this um, in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, 23. Here's what he says. Therefore, if you are, present, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar, and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. Then come and present your offering. So here Jesus is teaching us that if we're in relationship with somebody and we think that we have offended or hurt them in some way, that is so important it even affects our relationship with God. 
And so right in the middle of our worship to God is what Jesus is kind of pointing out here. We bring our offerings as a worship to God. He says, and you realize that this is something going on in your life. Leave your offering there at the altar. Go make it right with your brother. Come back then and present your offering. That's our responsibility. And so, and, and it's important to God. Now, the other way that there can be conflict, and this is probably more normally the way, is usually before we're realizing that we may have offended somebody else, we are experiencing something that somebody has done that's either wronged or offended us. And so Jesus speaks to that as well. Now, to do this, last Sunday we were talking about uh, marriage. We were talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage actually last Sunday. And we were doing that out of Matthew chapter 19. And remember we were saying there's a bunch of historical things happening there. And Jesus left Galilee and then he went into Judea or Perea, which is actually Judea beyond the Jordan. This passage comes right before that where he's still in Galilee right before he does that. So we're just backing up one chapter in Matthew chapter 18, and here's what he says, beginning in verse 15. If your brother sins, and this is in the context of sins against you, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So this is a very well-known passage of Scripture, right? That we understand, hey, this is how you resolve conflict. It's in three steps. And so the first step is if somebody has wronged you or they've hurt you or they've done something that has offended you, then it's your responsibility not to wait for them to come to you, but you go to them and tell them. You go to them one-on-one -on -one and you say, hey, this hurt me, this offended me, this wronged me, you owe me, you know, whatever it is, you, you go to them and you just, you just tell them face-to-face. Of course, that's not typically what we do, right? When somebody's hurt us, then we tell everybody or several people about that. And God's saying, no, don't tell other people. First thing, one-on-one, -on -one, your responsibility for God. And by the way, God says this is very important. We're going to get to that in a few moments. That we go talk to the person one-on-one. -on -one. If we have a relationship with them, we go talk to them any type of a relationship. We go talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. And then we take those three steps. We talk to them face-to-face, -face, and that may fix it. And now we've never talked to anybody else. Our relationship is restored. They say, oh, oh, that's what you heard? Is that what I said? Oh, I didn't mean to say that. Oh, I'm, I, I'm sorry. What I was trying to say was this. Or, hey, you know, I did that. However that conversation goes, most of the time, a lot of the times... That fixes it right there. If that doesn't fix it, and, and usually it does, then and only then do you tell somebody else. And when you tell somebody else, you're not telling somebody, 
that, are, that will automatically sympathize with you and be on your side, especially in the context of believers or in the context of a, of a Christian, then we're trying to find somebody who will be more neutral or somebody who's a mature believer, just somebody else or a mutual friend that knows both of us, that type of a person, we go tell them and say, you know, I'm in conflict with this person. I wonder if you'd help me out. I want to fix this relationship. And then those one or two people go with you and talk to the person. And then maybe that person's like, oh, this is more serious than I thought. And then they hear that out. And a lot of time that will fix it. And then you also have a couple of mutual friends that will buffer that. And you need to be prepared that your mutual friend may say to you, whoa, you know, you're being kind of sensitive on that. Or that's really not that big of a deal. Who knows? But you go then and then you solve it that way. And that will take care, you know, of of most of the rest of them. And then and only then, if the situation's not worked out, then you, quote, tell it to the church. And that means you approach a church leader to say, hey, we have this conflict. And then the the church then, a leader from the church, calls the other person in and, and sits everybody down at a table and try to figure that out and resolve the conflict. Why? Because God says it's important for us not to be in conflict. And then if that person doesn't listen to the church... Jesus says, treat him like a non-believer. It's kind of like saying this. You know, a, a church leader might say to that person, you know, you say you're a Christian, but you're denying the very gospel you believe, which is all about forgiveness. You know, you say you're a Christian, but you're sort of denying the very thing that you believe. And so we talk about that. Now, whether offended or whether you're the offender, You have to take action. You have to take action. No matter which side you're on, if you're a believer, God's calling you to action. Well, they should be asking for... Right, but you need to tell them. You never have an excuse not to take action. And then here's the thing. Resolving conflict always requires something. It always requires forgiveness. And that's what Jesus will continue now in this chapter to explain to us. And so what happens after Jesus teaches this is Peter approaches uh, Jesus in verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now maybe right here at this point in the sermon, some of you guys have already been thinking, Well, Kevin, yeah, I would do that, but you don't understand. This person does this to me all the time. Well, that that would be a good plan, what you said about always going to the person first, but you don't understand this situation is different. This is Peter. Peter's saying, and and there's a good chance he had somebody in his life that has offended him repeatedly, so he comes to Jesus and says, Hey, how many times do we have to forgive the person for the same offense? And he throws out seven times. Interesting that he does that because obviously Peter's been hanging around Jesus, knows Jesus has some pretty high standards. Peter probably also knew that rabbis of the day 
said three times. I mean, you forgive somebody three times. After that, that it, it's over. You don't keep forgiving them. And so I don't know if Peter's in, okay, well, I'm going to double up on that. Then I'm going to add another one to make it seven. You know, that's a great number. And, and so he comes up with seven times. And, and it's weird because I'm always wondering how the disciples take in this. I mean, they're right there when Peter's asking Jesus. They've heard this standard from, from Christ. And they're going, wow, that's, that's heavy. We always have to go to that person. We always have to forgive if they're asking. They're thinking, wow. And then Peter says, well, how many times do you have to do that? And then he throws out seven. You don't know if they're like going, wow, Peter, seven times. You're starting with seven. Great job, Peter. Polite applause. Wow. You know, or if they're standing there, you know, and Peter's asking Jesus up to seven times, Jesus, and they're going, oh boy, this guy didn't forgive me for not getting the firewood yesterday. You know, you don't know what they're thinking, how they're responding to that. But he asks the question, and here's what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And some translations have 77 times. Most translations have 70 times seven times, which are 490 times. And the reason is that number is a very difficult number to translate in the Greek. But anyway, the point is, Jesus says, no, not just seven times, way more than that. It really doesn't change the meaning either way. He's basically not saying, hey, if it's 77 times, he's not saying, okay, 76, I forgive you. 77, I forgive you. 78, bam, you're a dead man. You know, that's not where Jesus is coming from. Or, okay, 488, I forgive you. 489, I forgive you. 490, I forgive you. And now you're dead. You know, that's, that, that's not what he's saying. He's saying unlimited Forgiveness. That's what he's talking about. And by the way, you'll notice that Jesus' real question is the same question we have. It's not how many times do I forgive. He's really asking, when can I stop forgiving, right? When can I stop forgiving? And that's the way we kind of approach it too. And Jesus is saying, you don't stop forgiving if somebody's asking for forgiveness. You keep on forgiving. You keep on forgiving. It's unlimited. And then Jesus tells a story to help Peter and the disciples and the people standing around to understand this concept. And, and it's a parable. A parable is kind of a short story with a point, a spiritual point. And that's what he starts saying in verse 23. Here's, here's how it goes. And most of you have heard this before. He says, For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he didn't have the means to repay his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made. So let's just pause there just for a second. So first of all, there's a couple things. Some of you already know this. 10,000 talents, and we don't know if this is silver or gold, so it's a little bit, little bit confusing, but 10,000 talents is a huge, huge sum. 
If it's gold, it's like a billion dollars. It's more than Israel paid as a nation of, to tribute to Rome. I mean, it's national-sized debt, 10,000 talents, like a trillion dollars to us today. Impossible to pay back. So, and so what's going on there is, okay, this guy, and it says servant, you know, this is a high government official. And so this person mismanages or steals or embezzles, you know, whatever the case may be. And, and he's not going to, the king's not going to ever get this back. And so he basically says, you know, he's never going to pay. So we're just going to sell him, his family, and all his stuff. And we won't even probably get one talent back of our 10,000 talents. Maybe one, you know, and that's how, that's kind of how it was back then. When you owed, you paid. There was no bankruptcy in the first century. If you owed somebody, you had to pay them. And they could throw you in jail that would force all your friends to gather up money to get you out of jail if you had that many people that cared about you. That's kind of how it went. By the way, not a lot of people running up credit card debt in the first century because of stuff like this. And then Jesus continues. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Okay, well, everybody knows in the room, in, in this story, and all the hearers, as they hear Jesus say this, and they're picturing this play out in their mind, the guy can't pay this back. The guy's not asking for justice. Justice doesn't do him any good. He can't pay it back. So he knows justice won't help, so he goes full on mercy. He's pleading for mercy. That's what he needs. Verse 27. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. So huge. But then, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii, this is a hundred days of wages. So a denarii is about what you would make, a laborer would make in one day. So, you know, this is kind of manageable. It's like, you know, maybe half a year's pay or something like that. You know, a third of a year's pay, several months' pay. But it's big, but this guy has a chance of doing it. And so, owed him a hundred... But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay. Same thing. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. And came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, summons the first slave, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Contemporary language, we get it, right? There's a corporation and there's a, you know, it's audit time, major audit happens, and the owner then hears that his chief financial officer has embezzled a trillion dollars. 
But then the guy begs for mercy, so the owner forgives him. Just forgives him. He doesn't have to go to jail. He doesn't have to pay it back. There's no way he can pay it back anyway. He's just forgiven. So on the best day of his life, the ex-CFO, the ex-chief financial officer, he heads out. I mean, best day of his life. He's been forgiven a trillion dollars. But then he finds another guy that he works with, and that guy owes him $15,000. And so he grabs him, and he throws him in jail and presses charges. He does everything he can to extract this money. But this guy says, whoa, 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 give me time. I'll pay. And by the way, this is not such an unreasonable request. This guy probably could pay this debt off, $15,000 over time. Give him a couple years, he'll pay that off. But no, he doesn't want to wait. Throws him in jail anyway. So that's how it's playing out. And so as we see this, when the owner finds out what happened, he calls the ex-CFO in and presses charges. What are you doing? I just forgave you a trillion dollars, but you grabbed another employee because he owed you 15 and pressed charges. What's going on here? That's how it plays out. And we need to notice what the king did. You know why? We need to notice what the king did here because that's what Jesus expects us to do when people owe us a debt. So did you catch it? Number one, he took pity. He had compassion. What's this mean? He identified with him. He related to him. He, he thought about it and sort of put himself in the other guy's shoes. This is what God's calling us to do. That when we're in conflict with somebody, but somebody has hurt us and, and they owe us, it could be monetarily, but it could be any other way. But they can't fix it. But they owe us. They've wronged us. Well, first, we identify with the other person. We deliberately do the internal work of realizing what we have in common. This is hard to do. Because when we're in conflict with somebody, we keep focusing on what we don't have in common. By the way, what God, Jesus, is teaching us to do here to identify with that person and kind of do some mental work to figure out what we have in common, that's exactly the opposite of what our culture is teaching us today. It's the exact opposite. Some right now today in our country, they advance political agendas by keeping people angry. And the way you keep people angry is, is to keep focusing on their differences not their commonality, it's always their differences, their differences, their differences. And that's how you keep people stirred up and keep people angry. Jesus is saying just the opposite. Identify with him, take pity, take compassion. And then second, he canceled the debt. He let the guy go. And that's called forgiveness. And that's what we're going to look at for just a few minutes, focus on that a little bit. Forgiveness. If resolving conflict always requires forgiveness, and it does, then the question is, well, what, what is forgiveness? 
And, and in a sense, in a nutshell, forgiveness is giving up the right to get even. Giving up the right. I mean, you have a, there, there's kind of a right there to get. They owe you. It's the right thing is that they owe you. You give that up. When somebody wrongs you, there's this strong sense, and when we use this terminology, whether it has to do with finances or not, somebody betrayed you or somebody libeled you or somebody spoke lies about, well, they've, they owe us. They've wronged us. We use that terminology. They, they owe us. Wrong incurs liability and debt. And our natural response is to make that person pay. An equal, if not that debt, then, because sometimes they can't, an equal harmful debt. We want bad for them. It's the same principle. Someone has to pay for every debt. Forgiveness is absorbing the debt. You absorb the debt they owe you. So they don't owe you anymore. They don't have to pay. You let them off the hook, they don't have to pay. But someone has to pay every debt. And if it's not them, if you're not making them pay, then you end up paying for the debt. That's absorbing the debt. Whether it's money or not money or reputation or pain or whatever it is, it's the same principle. If wronged, you lose something. Maybe a relationship, maybe resources, maybe reputation. Somebody's hurt, hurt you that way. You, you lose something when you're wrong. Forgiveness cancels the debt, but forgiveness always costs. That's what you have to understand to be a Christian. To even be a Christian, we need to understand that God created us, but he, he didn't make us robots. He gave us this gift of free will, but it's a gift that we've all misused. To sin against God, to do what God said is wrong. And he's our creator. He owns us. And we, anytime we do wrong, we're sinning not only against other people, but we're also sinning against God, which creates a debt. And sinning against our creator, a holy and righteous God, creates a debt that we cannot pay. It's an, it's an infinite debt. And because of that, the right thing is that we spend eternity separated from a righteous and holy creator God who made us. But God loves us, so he makes a way by sending his one and only son, Jesus, who's the only person who lives on earth who doesn't sin... And therefore, he's the only one who's qualified to pay for somebody else's sin. And so Jesus voluntarily gives up his life by dying on the cross. When he's dying on the cross, he is absorbing the debt that we owe to God. Jesus is paying it himself. He's absorbing the debt. He's saying, I'll pay your debt. I'll take care of it. All absorb your debt. You don't have to pay. But there's a condition on that. If we turn to him in faith, if we acknowledge what he's done and appreciate it, if we understand what Jesus has done for us, and we turn from living for ourselves to wanting to follow him. 
You have to understand that in order to become a Christian. And if you understand that whole debt thing, that Jesus died to absorb your debt, it's only then that you can ask God for forgiveness based on what Christ has done and become a believer. But if that's what forgiveness is, then okay, how? How do we do it? Because we learn things like this, we understand them, but the how of it gets sticky, it gets a little messy. And so here are the, a couple of hacks on resolving conflict. How do you put this into practice in your life? Hack number one. As Christians, we have a huge advantage on being able to forgive other people. Because hack number one is remember what God has forgiven you. For us to be able, look, I, I just can't do it. You don't know. You don't understand the pain. You don't understand the wreckage in our life. You don't get what's happening. You don't know what that action has caused. Well, the first thing is we need to remember something. As believers, we need to remember the debt that God has forgiven you. And so talking to Christians right now, not everybody here is a Christian, but those of you who are Christians, we're in the story Jesus told, right? We're in that story. We're the guy that owed a trillion dollars to the king and could, couldn't pay. And we asked for mercy, and Jesus made a way for us to receive that mercy. And so we've been forgiven this incredible, huge, massive debt And then we go out and interact with other sinners like us. And then we get hurt and offended and somebody wrongs us. And then we don't want to forgive. We're in the story. And so for all of us, for me personally, if I ever have trouble forgiving, if that's ever an issue in my life, you do that enough, and, and you don't even have to do it anymore. You get it. If you're having trouble forgiving somebody, all you have to do is start thinking about your own sin that God's forgiven. And God, who has forgiven you everything, is asking you, me, you and me, to forgive. It's not right to demand that others pay when God has let us off, is what I'm saying. And I know some of you are thinking, you don't understand. They don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve it. Right, I, I do understand that. Because I don't deserve forgiveness from God. Justice would not help me with God. I need mercy from God because I don't deserve forgiveness. But God gives it to me anyway at great cost through his son. However anyone has wronged you, no matter what that is, no matter how bad that is, that's nothing compared to how you and I have wronged God. 
So the first hack is simply that. Remember the debt that God forgave you. Second hack, you have trouble forgiving, which is required to reconcile relationships? Second hack is this. Remember how important forgiveness is to God. Let me say that a little different way. Remember how important to God it is for us to forgive others. God makes a huge deal out of this. He's saying this is very important. So Jesus told this story that we've just read, but he's not done. He makes one last statement. Look at verse 35. Here's how he wraps the story up. His disciples are listening. Some other people standing around are listening. Peter's asked this question. Do we have to keep on forgiving? He said it's like this. He tells the story. At the end of the story, he says this. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you. What's the same? Having tortured, basically separated, taken away. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. And so we read that, and the first thing we go, if we're thinking about it, we go, well, does this mean we can lose our salvation? Can we lose our salvation by withholding forgiveness or somebody? Well, no, we know from the balance of Scripture we can't lose our salvation. But it shows that if we're truly a believer, we will not withhold forgiveness to other people. And this is where it gets hard. Because you may have every right to be offended or hurt or angry. It's not that, hey, it's no big deal. Sometimes that's the case. But you may have every right to be hurt, offended, angry. And I can't tell you to forgive because I've not experienced what you've suffered through. But Jesus can tell you that. Because Jesus has suffered for you. And he does tell us that. And this isn't the only place. It's all over the Bible. Remember the Lord's Prayer. Any of you learned the Lord's Prayer? Maybe when you were a kid. You know, for me, I learned it at football. You know, it's just the Lord's Prayer. Well, remember that part? It says, and there's... Different translations use different words. So, forgive us our transgressions, sins, trespasses, right, debts. Different words all mean the same thing. And then what's, so God, forgive us our trespasses, our sins. And then the next line, as we forgive those who've sinned against us, trespassed against us, transgressed against us. As we forgive our debtors who sinned against us, he's saying. Wow, that's scary, isn't it? God, forgive me my sin exactly how I forgive other people who sin against me. Do we really want to pray that? That's what he's saying. And that's not all. When the Lord's Prayer is over, this model prayer that he gave us, not to repeat necessarily, but pray in this manner. When the prayer is over, then he comments on something from the prayer. And out of the whole prayer, he comments on only one thing in the prayer. Here's what he says, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. 
For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But then it continues. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. What's he saying there? Same thing, we're going, what? He's telling us that if we are incapable of forgiving other people, then that is showing that we've never really received the forgiveness of God. Because if we've received the forgiveness of God, where he's forgiven us everything, then we realize that the people who owe us things, the people who have offended us, that that's nothing compared to what God's forgiven us for. And this God, who's forgiven us everything, is asking us to forgive others. There's no better sign of where you're heading eternally than your ability to forgive others. That's what we keep seeing over and over in Scripture. So the question is, who do you need to go to first because you've offended them? And you, maybe you don't think they should be offended, but you know you've offended them. God says, go. Leave your offering at the altar Interrupt your worship of God and worship God by doing what he tells us to do. And go talk to that person and make that relationship right. Or, probably more common, who has offended you? and needs forgiveness. Don't wait for them to come to you. Jesus is telling you, go to them and you make that right. Well, they've hurt me. They've offended me. They've, you wouldn't believe what they've done. I, it, it would take me an hour to explain it to you. I get it. You need to go to them. Who is that person? Because amazingly, mysteriously, God's saying, when we withhold forgiveness, when we have these broken relationships, it even impacts our relationship with God. It's what he's telling us. Let's stand together. Father God, we thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, because that's what we need most. And Father, we here as Christians understand that when we approach you, we need mercy, not justice, mercy. And Father, if there's any here, our friends, neighbors, people from our community that maybe they're new at grace or they're not sure that they've ever come to God asking for forgiveness specifically, not because they deserve it in some roundabout way, but they just need mercy and that you're, you're waiting for them to ask. Father, we pray that they would do that and reconcile the most important relationship they have, their relationship with you. And God, for those of us who are believers, that right now that you would help us through your spirit, that you would help us search our own hearts and our lives and see if there's any bitterness or anger against people in our lives that we've 
And if that's true, we've not forgiven them. Lord, help us to reconcile that. Not because they deserve it. Because you're asking us to do it. Search our hearts, Lord. Help us to forgive. Lord, help us to make a change in our life right now. If that's something, that bitterness and anger is something we're experiencing. And Father, we thank you for telling us truth. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us. And we thank you for empowering us and helping us to show grace and forgiveness and mercy to others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.